So, we're talking about the fruit of love this morning, concentrating on the fruit of love. So I want to just go back to the conversation that Jesus had with the teacher of the law before he launched into the story of the Good Samaritans, as I'm sure you'll recognize from that play. And of course, the immediate question that the the teacher of the law asked him was, who is my neighbor? But that sprung from another discussion that Jesus had with him about what were the most important commandments in the Jewish law. And uh, there's another passage very similar to this in in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus has the same discussion with, I don't know whether it's the same teacher of law or another teacher of law, but in that passage, it's Jesus himself who comes out with this. When the teacher asks him, what is the most important commandment in the whole of all the law that we have in the Old Testament? And Jesus said this, it can be summed up in just two commandments. And the first one is this, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, if you actually follow those commands properly, actually there's no need for any of the other rules because everything else will be encompassed by those two commands. So um, the question for you before we start, if love is so important, what is love? Is it a feeling or is it a choice? Or is it maybe an action, a doing word? Or perhaps it encompasses all of those and more besides, because it's quite a complex thing, isn't it? Let me just give you an example. On one of my trips to Nepal, I remember chatting to a Nepali guy, young guy, who said to me, he was a Christian and he came from a Christian family, and he said to me, when I get married, it's going to be an arranged marriage. And at first I was really shocked. I thought, he's from a Christian family and he's going to have an arranged marriage And then he explained it to me. He said, yes, he said, my parents, who are older and wiser than I am, will choose and I will trust them to choose and find a girl who will be the right person for me. And then he said, when we get married, as her husband, I will choose to love her right from the start. And then he said, as we continue to live together and get to know each other and spend time with each other, I am confident that that love will grow and develop between the two of us. And I thought that was very, very interesting, and it uh, changed my whole perspective of arranged marriages. I'm still not totally convinced, I have to say, but then all systems are flawed, aren't they? I mean, we don't exactly have a good record in this country, do we, or in, in the West of our marriages. So all systems are flawed. But what I thought was really interesting was the way he said, I will choose to love my wife. I won't wait for that romantic feeling to come. It's a choice. But then... But then, as we live together, then I believe firmly that that feeling will grow and develop. And presumably as well would lead into action as well, the way they behave with one another. So love encompasses all these things, doesn't it? And, of course, love begins with God, doesn't it? And in the Bible, there are many different words in the Greek language for love. They all mean something slightly different. So, for instance, the word eros is the word for romantic love, that exclusive love between a couple, which is very different from filial love, which is brotherly love, the love friendship that we have between most of us in this room. We have that brotherly love, the friendship between us, and that's a very different thing. 
And then the highest love of all, and probably the one Greek word that we're all familiar with, is the agape love, that unconditional love that God has for us, the perfect love that he has for us. And that's where it all begins. It begins with God. We love because he first loved us. And I think it would be very difficult, almost impossible, to actually be able to love anyone else if we ourselves have not experienced love in our lives. And so that love begins with God. But here's right from the beginning, we have a choice. We can choice, choose to accept it or reject it or maybe just ignore it, as many people do today. But if we do accept that love from God and if we do see and understand just how much he loves us, then actually we cannot help but respond to that love, can we? Just like with the children who said they love their mums and dads most of all because mums and dads love them, they responded to that love. So if we accept that love of God in our lives, we cannot help but respond. But Jesus said, he didn't just say love God. He said, love God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That is pretty extreme, isn't it? That is pretty all-encompassing. So how do we do that? Is that a choice? Is that a feeling? Is that an action? What? How do we do that? How do we do that? How, can we actually make ourselves love somebody that much, that deeply? How do we do it? And as I was mulling this over, I thought of another passage in the Bible where Jesus uses the whole metaphor of fruits growing on a tree. Only this time, it's about fruits growing on a vine. And that's from John chapter 15. So I thought I'd just read some of those verses to you. So Jesus said, <clears throat> I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. Now, other versions of the Bible use the words abide in me, which perhaps we're all more familiar with, and of course has been used for the words of a famous hymn, which is now used in football matches. So I thought I would stick with the, ones, the words that here. Remain in me, stay with me, live with me, as I also remain in you, stay with you, live with you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And so it's not an overnight fix. It's not something we can do overnight. We're talking about a long-term plan here. And this is why people who think that being a Christian is about being good and obeying the rules don't get it. It's not about that. It's about this long-term relationship, this love relationship that we have with God. And it's only as we remain in him and we allow him to remain in us and live in us that our love can grow and deepen just like mine and Harley friend that would, he believed would happen with his wife. If they lived together and got to know each other, their love would deepen. And that's how it is 
with us and God. It's only as we live in him and remain in him that we can actually grow to love him that much. And Jesus then went on in this passage to explain how when he went back to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit to come and live in us. And so here we are back to this whole theme of the Holy Spirit living in us and bearing these fruits in us. And it's only as we allow him into our lives that we can do that. And as we allow that love into our lives, that that love can flow out from us to other people. And that brings us on to the second half of of, uh, the commandment as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says in this passage as well, love one another as I have loved you. Because he set the extreme example, didn't he, of dying for us. He said, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's the example that Jesus has, been given, has given us. And so that's what he wants us to do for others as well. And it's only as we allow God's love to flow through us that we are then able to obey the second half of that commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we think about what that really means, love our neighbor as ourselves, if we all genuinely behaved that way, if we all genuinely lived a life like that, we wouldn't need any of the other commandments, would we? It covers everything. It covers everything. The problem is, of course, it's not as easy as that because we live in a world where there is so much anger and so much hatred, isn't there? And the more anger and hatred there is, it develops more anger and hatred, which eventually leads to violence. And we only have to turn the news on, don't we, to see Stuff about Israel, stuff about Ukraine, and closer to home, the stabbings of our teenagers back here, to know that there is just so much anger and hatred in the world, which just is fueled by these things. The more we hear about them, the more it fuels more anger and hatred. It was interesting, when, we were, when I was um, planning this play with the Edge Group in the la- over the last couple of weeks, one of them came up with the idea of, of using a Russian and a Ukrainian in the story, which I thought was a really good idea, but not perhaps suitable for a family meeting with lots of little children are here. And then someone else came up with the idea of, the, of the, the, uh, so using social media, which I thought was very 21st century and much more relevant to them as teenagers. And of course, you know, I'm all hip and cool me, you know, so 21st century. Yeah. I'm da- down with the kids, me, you know. So, so I thought that was a better idea, so we used that, and I think that is very relevant. In fact, it was on the news this morning about online, online bullying, online stuff, and, and it is very relevant to the teenagers today. Although, thankfully, parents, you'll be happy to hear that they all said that none of them had actually experienced it for themselves, so I pl- was pleased to hear that. But it is a very modern topic, the online bullying But whether it's in the teenage world or whether it's in the global situation, we do see this anger and this hatred spilling out into really nasty, nasty behaviour. And as Christians, we need to be the one that goes in the opposite direction, don't we? And, And give love instead of hatred and instead of anger. And that's not always easy. But if that's the route we choose. And I think often if we're faced with moral dilemmas, then I think... And we're not quite sure what's the right thing to do. I think if our motive is love, then we will not go far wrong. And of course we cannot solve the world's problems, but we can just start where we are by just giving love out where we are to the people around us. So just to finish, I'm going to just read a few verses from that very famous chapter of love. I'm sure you can all guess, 1 Corinthians 13. 
And this describes what love is. And I think you'll see as we read these verses, if we all just followed this love, love, it would just change everything. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with that fruit of love that we can go out and just be loved to the people around us.